Well, sometimes, somehow it just seems to be appropriate to think of Tom backstage at a theater because he was such a man of the theater and a man of our theater. And uh, we did more shows of Tom's than anyone else. And uh, needless to say, we'll miss him. I think of him in all sorts of uh, guises, backstage, on stage, with his impish smile and uh, his ready wit and piercing insights and beyond that we'll just find other shows of his to do in the future which will honor him the way we have um, and I wish I could be there tonight but Mufti rehearsals are calling, and I, I have to be there. Uh, so I wish you all well, but Tom and Janet, I miss you both. You wonder how these things begin. Well, this begins with a glen, begins with a season, which for want of a better word, we might as well call September. It begins with the forest where the woodchucks woo and leaves wax green and vines entwine like lovers. Try to see it, not with your eyes, for they are wise, but see it with your ears, the cool green breathing of the leaves and hear it with the inside of your hand, the soundless sound of shadows flicking light. Celebrate sensation. Recall that secret place. You've been there. You remember. That special place where once, just once, in your crowded, sunlit lifetime, you hid away in shadows from the tyranny of time. That spot beside the clover where someone's hand held your hand, and love was sweeter than the berries or the honey or the stinging taste of mint. Hello, Charles. How are you? Hello, Richard. I'm good. That was such a beautiful video you put together. Thank you. I am so thrilled that we are here tonight to celebrate uh, the incredible uh, legacy and body of worth, as I like to refer to it, of Tom Jones. Uh, about a month ago, I had the good fortune, uh, thanks to his wonderful uh, son, Sam, who we're going to meet in just a moment, uh, to interview uh, Tom. Uh, it was a great, great interview. Uh, absolutely one of my favorites. Um, he sent me an email and he said, um, there are two obstacles. Um, I'm deaf in both ears and I'm technologically uh, challenged. <laughs> if we can get past that, we'll do a great interview. <laughs> we did get past that, uh, thanks to Sam. And uh, we're gonna bring Sam on. And uh, I'd like to thank you, uh, Charles, because it was your idea that we get together tonight and that we celebrate him. We've got a few uh, clips that we're gonna share tonight. And we have a few very special people waiting in the wings. So thank you for helping put this together. Yes, thank you. I can't wait to celebrate Tom tonight. He certainly deserves it. I had the good fortune of interviewing him too earlier in the pandemic. In fact, one of the first interviews that I did, I think, for my podcast. And it was very generous of him to grant me so much time. It ended up being, I think, three or three and a half hours in total. And I felt very lucky to meet him. He's absolutely the best. Sam, I want to say to you, first of all, um, when a person reaches a milestone age, like your dad did, and they pass on, I don't like to th use the word die, because your father, thank God, will never die because of the legacy of the worth and the work that he left behind. And uh, every single person, there are a lot of people who wanted to be here tonight who could not be here. I have never 
heard one person say one negative thing about your father. And that to me is his greatest legacy. Well, that's very sweet. Uh, I think the the video was lovely. It, you know, it's it made me very emotional to hear. I haven't heard him do that recording in a while. Uh, I haven't heard that recording of him doing it in a while. And it's such a sort of wonderful, I think it's a great choice to kind of represent um, who he was, who Harvey was a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he reached so many milestones. You know what I mean? It was like it was like eighty was a milestone, and then eighty five, and then ninety, and then ninety five, and you almost started to be like, oh well, he's it's it's sort of Tom Jones Springs Eternal. Um, but you know, I think and pass on. He left us in the way he wanted to leave, and so I think we're, we're sort of you know my brother and I and and all those around him. I think we're very grateful for that. Cause you know, those can go a lot of different ways. And he was working, as you said, I mean, like up until we filmed videos that he wanted to get done for a new show called geezers two days before he died. You know what right. I mean? So it was like really, and the work was so important to him and he cared so much about it. And I think it was such an, an integral part of like who he was and, and what his sort of life force was, was about. Um, so the fact that he was able to kind of stay that connected to it till that late in the process, I think we're really grateful for. Well, is, go ahead, Charles. I'm sorry. That is really beautiful. And I remember that from our interview that he was telling me, I'm still working on the fantastics and fixing I do, I do. And just that he was able to keep working for so long. It's great to hear. Yeah. I mean, well, my favorite is they did the, you know, they did a, him, him and Andrew did a sort of reinvented the Tempest and someone asked him about it recently. He said, well, there were a lot of problems in the original show. And <laughs> We could really iron iron out the kinks. And I'm like, oh, of the Tempest. Great. Right, right. That's great. Well, yeah, I've always really felt that What really amazed me also, I mean, it was Albert Poland who reached out to me and told me, first of all, about the production that was going on in Provincetown of the yeah. Fantastics. And for those who don't know, uh, it's a reimagining of the Fantastics. Uh, it's now a gay love story. And... Uh, and as your father said to me in our interview, when he was first approached to do this, uh, I think uh, the young man who reached out to him said, all we need to do is just change a few pronouns here or there. And your dad said, no, 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 no. If we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. Oh, and yeah. he was right in there working on this until the very end. Um, I was in Provincetown. The show was sold out. I couldn't get tickets for it. Oh, man, you should have called us. <laughs> you got to connect. Out. We would have happily made a few, pulled a few strings on your back. Oh, I would have loved to have seen it. And but uh, as uh, with all of his work, uh, it's not the end of the road. I mean, there are other productions that are in the yeah, world. I hope so. I mean, I, I also didn't get to see it. I also would love to see it. I mean, I saw some videos of the production in, in Detroit, uh, which was kind of the first iteration or in I think it was in Detroit in Michigan. And and I yeah, I think it's an awesome idea. I think it's so and I do think it's amazing. And what he would say to me is how much how much it works. You know, because I, mean? I think there is something. Um, and I think what is so sort of transcendent about that piece is it's so essential in so many of its elements. And that like kind of that they do such a good job of boiling things down to their essence um, and not getting caught up in the trappings of whether it's staging, whether it's costumes. But, you know, all of those things are kind of distilled. And I think that's what gives the original piece so much power. And I think that totally shifts you know that sort of that stuff has no no boundaries as to kind of like boy girl boy boy girl girl i think all of that stuff really it, it because of the simplicity it can kind of transcend any of those those um other trappings well, right so this may sound like a silly question to ask and you know and i've asked other uh children uh who have been born into this business um when did you first become aware of your father's place in the world of theater? Oh, I mean, I think before, uh, you know, I think very early is the simple answer. I, I mean, you know, we, we would travel, we went to, both my brother and I went to Japan with the Fantastics before we were two years old. And I mean, you know, my father would tell a story of me doing the, my El Gallo makeup and the hat and reciting all the, all the words to the Fantastics at three or something like that. and. You know, I think it's funny because he was, it's a funny thing where to those who care, he's such a figure, but then to most people, they have no idea. You know what I mean? So it's like a funny kind of duality of like the, 
the sort of so well respected and so loved in one area and then sort of to everyone else, it was like, oh, is he the singer, Tom Jones? And you're <laughs> like, no. But yeah, I mean, you know, he even told me and it, I mean, we were very connected. I was sort of the firstborn son. I think we were very sort of tied together, which can often, I think, be the case. And, um, you know, he he said that at one point when I was like four years old, they were working on a show called uh, uh, Our Town, you know, uh, based, based, based on the book Our Town. Yeah, Grover's Corners based on the book Our Town. And he said they, they were kind of doing it and he comes back to me and he says, Sam, what do you think? And I said, it's the second act just isn't working, dad. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like clearly I'd heard someone say it or something. And I was like, you know, very serious look on my face. And I was like, I just don't think we're getting it in the second act. And he was like, great, thanks. <laughs> well, we've got several people who are gonna be coming out tonight. Before we bring on our next guest, and Charles, I'll let you decide who our next guest will be. Um, I have a clip uh, from Carol Demas, uh, who I know is watching, but she unfortunately was not able to be here tonight. Uh, but she sent me a clip. Of course, she's done the fantastic several times. Uh, she has a great story that I'll let her tell uh, sometime. Charles, have you had Carol on your show? No, I've never met her. Gotta make it happen. Carol, go on Charles's show and tell the story about her coming back to the Fantastics several years later. Uh, Sarah Rice, I, I don't want to get the story wrong, but Sarah Rice had to leave uh, for uh, throat surgery. And uh, Tom called Carol and said, You have to come in and do the show. And Carol says, Well, I'm a little older than Louisa. I don't think I should be doing this, but he convinced her to come into the show. Thank God she did. And uh, she still has the right to sing this song. And I'm going to bring uh, this clip on now. Stay on. We're talking about that. Eileen said to me, you should sing the girl's song, Louisa's first song, much more. And I said, I haven't sung that since the 60s. Louisa is 16. Um, do you think that's appropriate? Really? Sure. Uh, I said, sure. I, I said, you know, because she's so full of hopes and dreams and, and fantasy. And, and then I thought, you know, I'm in my 80s now. And when I look back at the things that Louisa said she wanted, I've been lucky. I've had some of those things. So maybe it's time to sing this song again, looking back at it. So here it is. Thank you, Carol. I like to swim in a clear blue stream where the water is icy cold then go to town in a golden gown and have my fortune told just once just once just once before i'm old i'd like to be not evil but a little worldly wise to be the kind of girl designed to be kissed upon the eyes i'd like to dance till two o'clock or sometimes dance till dawn or if the could stand it just go on and on and on just once just once before the chance is gone I'd like to waste a week or two and never do a chore to wear my hair unfastened so it belongs to the floor to do the things I've dreamed about but never done before perhaps I'm bad or wild or mad with lots of grief in store much more 
keeping house much more much more much more bravo 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 carol d must just love her and uh again charles you got to get her on your show we're going to make it happen so yes. uh, so, uh, Charles, who would you like to bring on next? Yes, well, next I'd love to bring on um, Nancy Ford Charles, who was a collaborator of Tom's on the musical The Game of Love, and who I believe played the piano for The Fantastics at one point. I did. That was my second piano job at New York. And uh, at the same time, my collaborator, Gretchen Cryer, was in 110 in the shade, same time I was playing the piano with the Fantastic. So Tom and Harvey knew us both and they became mentors to us. In fact, they, they introduced us to their music publisher and their director, Word Baker, who directed four of our shows, three, three or four of our shows over the years later. They were so helpful. They, they worked with us on our backers auditions. They were the consummate backers audition performers you know i don't know if i don't know if they were still having to do that when after you were born sam that was a long time but did you ever see them do a backers audition of one of their shows i, I mean i, I mean, feel like I, that was my daily life for many years oh you did okay. i mean it was as good as the show better <laughs> maybe better than some of the shows to see the two of them do it yeah, I, I so remember the the early days of the Fantastics. Well, I played from 1960, I guess three through four, somewhere somewhere in there. Of course, I met my husband while playing for the Fantastics. Fantastics. He was playing El Gallo, so that was wow. fortuitous. <laughs> that was also something I have to thank Tom and Harvey for. Um, but uh, what was I going to say about Oh, going back. Oh, okay, I've lost it. On to the next question. Go ahead, Charles. Well, so I'd love to ask you both, Nancy and Sam, now that you're both on, if you could talk a little bit about what his collaborative process was like from two different perspectives. Um, well, I started collaborating with him on the Game of Love, as you mentioned, when he had had a production of it somewhere uh, down in, I think, at some theater in the East Village. And it had had an orchestration to start with. At that time, it was called The Affairs of Anatole. And uh, he asked my husband, Keith Charles, to play the role of Anatole in a production that was going to be done at the Milwaukee Repertory Theater. And he asked if I would take the score and reduce it to piano and be the pianist. So the pianist was kind of a part of the show at that time. I had a nice black velvet gown on at the piano and I got to, Anatole got to look over at me as though I was one of his conquests as well. Anyway, that was how I got started writing with Tom. And at the time, he needed two pieces of music that he had not found uh, an Offenbach tune. The, I should say, I don't know if you said that before, but the Game of Love was mainly Offenbach's music to start with. And so he asked me if I would write a tune. We wrote a song that's still one of my favorite songs that I've ever written is, uh, is Listen to the Rain. And we wrote that for Barbara Baxley. Uh, uh, she had this wonderful kind of little girl voice, you know, and so we, we wrote that song with her voice in mind. I had played for her when she was in Brecht on Brecht at the Theater de Lise a couple of years earlier. And so I knew what her voice was like. So then, I mean, he just gave me the lyrics because he had them all written out. You know, there was no... Um, we didn't have any very much back and forth on it, if you know what I mean. He he wrote a full lyric, and he the lyrics that he wrote were always set up so well in terms of how they fell rhythmically and everything. So, really, I just had to find a melody. Yeah. 
because the, the form was all there. And, um, and then he, as you've been saying, he worked and reworked everything. He was always rewriting. And so over the years, the many years, because that first game of love called The Affairs of Anatole Milwaukee was, I think, 1965. And over the years, he just, he kept working on it. I, I think he might have finally finished it a couple of years ago. Do you say him because he was, we were getting a new- Yeah, he felt uh, really good about it. I think he got it down to kind of a one act and they did it at Mufti and it was really great actually. I think it was one of my favorite- um, Yeah, I love doing it. I played for it at the, at the uh, you're talking about the York Theater. Yeah, at the York, yeah. the York, yeah. Yeah, that was exactly. a lot of fun to do. And, yeah. Um, so I think maybe he finally finished that show, but um, and eventually then there were four songs in it that I wrote the music for, and he was he was wonderful to work with because he was very supportive. I mean, I think he knew that I loved the lyrics he wrote, and he seemed to like the music I wrote for the lyrics. So we had a very pleasant relationship. <laughs> I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember any. I don't really remember any friction whatsoever. That's amazing. Well, it's just wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so I, you were saying before about what what legacy he leaves. He was such a good, kind person, and mm -hmm. I will just never forget the way he handled your mom's illness, Sam. How good he was to her, and what a hard thing that must have been for him to go through. But he was, I would say he's, he was an eternal optimist, wasn't he? I mean, didn't he always have a really positive outlook toward everything? And in my experience with him, he seemed to have be very upbeat and think things were going to Yeah, I think okay. optimistic and anxious. It was sort of some combination of the two. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it, where it's sort of, it's very an Upper West Side attitude, which is optimistic, okay. but also chronically you know, anxious. Um, I think, ironically, just to answer the other question, I think that's probably different from his process with Harvey, which I think was almost Not always music first. Um, and then he would write to the sort of, you know, Harvey would sort of, I think, you know, he would describe it as the music would just sort of pour out of Harvey and Harvey wasn't classically trained or, you know, sort of like couldn't write music. So I think mm -hmm. Harvey would record these demos and I still have a mm -hmm. ton of them cassette and you know we're sort of starting to go through all that stuff and would just send them to my dad and my dad would write to them and I think that was how most of his stuff with Harvey went um mm -hmm. so it, it's interesting and, and great Nancy to hear that that I went the other way and it's such a beautiful song I mean listen to the rain again and tomorrow we'll listen to the rain again it's mm -hmm. such a, so wonderful yeah yeah and his songs are filled with optimism uh I have another clip uh, this clip uh, comes to us from Jamie DeRoy, who also could not be here this evening. Uh, and she was telling me this is uh, uh, Jerry Orbach. And this was, I think, he. this was right after 9-11. And uh, he literally came right off uh, the set uh, to do this number. So uh, here he is, Jerry Orbach, uh, on uh, a Jamie DeRoy's show. Thanks, Jamie. Penny Fuller and I uh, went to school together at Northwestern, and uh, we go back a long, long way. <laughs> For many, many, many years, I was in the musical theater, and uh, for the last nine years, I've been playing a New York policeman. And in those nine years, I gained not only a respect and uh, an admiration and love for the New York cop, I, uh, I understood the difference between them and me. Uh, they're a lot tougher than I am. And uh, they put on a gun in the morning and they're not sure if they're gonna come home at night. And uh, a little while ago, a whole lot of them didn't come home. Uh, I just came here to uh, say a few words and auction off a couple of things, but uh, since uh, Danny Rodriguez couldn't be here, I'm not going to sing the national anthem. <laughs> but 
I'll sing you a little bit of what's sort of become my national anthem. And at this point in time, here on November 1st, it takes on a whole new meaning. Try to remember the kind of September when life was slow and oh so mellow. Try to remember the kind of September when grass was green and grain was yellow. Try to remember the kind of September when you were a tender and callow fellow. Try to remember, and if you remember, then follow. Try to remember when life was so tender that no one wept except the willow. Try to remember when life was so tender that dreams were kept beside your pillow. Try to remember when life was so tender that love was an ember above to billow. Try to remember, and if you remember, then follow. Deep in December, it's nice to remember, although you know the snow will follow. Deep in December, it's nice to remember, without a hurt, the heart is hollow. Deep in December, it's nice to remember the fire of September that made us mellow. Deep in December, our hearts should remember and follow. Follow. Thank you. That song gets me every time. Just yeah. unbelievable. Uh, Charles? Everybody knows that song and what you were saying about how they may not know Tom and Harvey. I live in Michigan now. And, you know, all, all these people, like, I'll mention somebody, Sheldon Harnick, and they people look at me blankly. And yet they would go to see Fiddler on the Roof. Harvey. I mean, they know the names of the shows, but they don't know the names of the people who wrote them. Try to Remember is such a favorite with people. I live in a retirement center now at Retirement Village, and uh, people here love Try to Remember, but it's a joke because a lot of us here can't quite remember the way we once used well, to. Dad was always trying to pitch it at some sort of drug. You know, yeah. he's like, there's a built-in sales gimmick here yeah. somewhere. Yeah. It's, and I'd forgotten what a beautiful voice Jerry Orbach had. Oh, so good. Best, yeah. the best. I love the story that your dad told about the song. I asked, um, when I interviewed him, I opened with Harry Belafonte and his version. And he said that was one of his favorite versions. Of course, uh, uh, Ed Ames had the huge hit with it. And uh, I asked him if he remembered the first time that he heard it on the radio. And he said, I was um, in... Uh, the Bahamas, I was lying on the beach uh, drinking a pina colada and the song comes on and I raised my glass and said, thank you for paying for this vacation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Charles, bring on our next guest. 
Yes, well, I'd love to bring on next someone who starred in a few of Tom's musicals, Michael Glenn Smith, maybe most notably in the original cast of Celebration, which we see behind us on Broadway. So, Michael, thank you for being here. Welcome to the show. Oh, I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So glad you made it tonight. Uh, what are some of your, uh, we've talked with uh, both Nancy and Sam about his collaborative process. If you can talk about the process from uh, actor uh, to uh, composers and what that experience was like for you. Well, I think the great thing about him was that he also directed the shows that, that I was in at his and I think he was a wonderful director for actors. He really wanted to hear my feedback and he listened to what I had to say. Now that's what's great is he listened. And um, I, I think it was, when, I think when we really got close was when we did Celebration, the revised version. I, I can't remember what year that was, 74, 75, I think. And um, I just, I just felt that there was just so many things that we could talk about and I could ask him questions. I know at the top of act two, you know, it was the lines were something like the boy is changing, you know, and he would come out, the girl is changing, whatever. And, and I would say, well, what happened? <laughs> you know, what happened to make him change? And he'd say, well, I don't know, but that's, that's, you put your finger right on it. And, <laughs> we would talk things about it and um i don't know i just i just love the fact that he listened to what i had to say that was what was great most directors don't they've got it at least the ones that i've worked with they've got it in their mind the way it ought to be and you ought to just do it that way you know right now, how many shows did you do with tom uh a total of three celebration and the fantastics and philemon and Philemon, I got to say, that was probably the most creative experience of my life because, wow. you know, we did that for such a long period of time and there were so many different versions. Uh, well, I think Tom started working on it while we were doing the fantastic, I mean, I mean, the celebration. And I think I'd been away to do the National Company of 1776. And I came back and they said, okay, we're doing a midnight showing of Philemon uh, at Portfolio. And this was, I think it was Easter Sunday. And we started at midnight. And I think finally at, at 4 a.m. the final curtain came down. <laughs> but it was a big show. Uh, and there were lots of people in it. Uh, David Cryer uh, played mm. the title role. It was Philemon then. Philemon, later it was changed to Kalkian, but it was the Philemon was a character who was not seen. Um, but it was just, uh, you know, I felt like Philemon was just such a, and I think God played my part. My, it was that role, but sort of, it was my part. Uh, <laughs> and um, I was a little jealous, I have to say, but I understood I was out of town. I couldn't very well be out of town and do two shows at once. Uh, uh, then I was so honored that in uh, 70, and then, then I think he, in Philemon, he did it again in 72, and he had cut everything down just to its essence. And I think it was only about 45 minutes long. And uh, Chapman Roberts had played the wow. character of the clown who becomes a saint. And Carol Demas was in it and saw Carol Demas naked. Wow. <laughs> I mean, uh, she was so beautiful. Oh, I'm watching now. She's watching. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, Carol, what can I say? I think I already told her. I think the next first time I saw her after that was Carol Demas, the last time I saw you, you were butt naked to the audience, you know. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it was, she was so beautiful. She still is, too. She still is. Um, but it, that was exciting. And then when they were going to do it again a year later, and they had made it larger, uh, and then Damon Evans played the part. Mm -hmm. And I think in that, that version, Keith was in that version. Keith played the captain. And uh, Susie Watson uh, played the girl in it. Uh, anyway, so I felt like that was sort of a little reunion there. Um, and then 
they wanted to do more work on it. And um, I think then they realized that they had made a, well, Damon was just so lovable and so sweet and he had no place to go, you know, because it was about this, this kind of sleazy character who, who becomes a saint, a sleaze who becomes a saint, from sleaze to saint. And uh, Dick Latessa was just perfect. I mean, I think there was just something, he, he was a good actor, you know, and he could, he could, it was the right meeting of the right actor for the right role at the right time. And uh, I don't know, I was thrilled. I kept thinking, God, I can't believe it. Well, I was surprised at the casting. I just thought I was too old, uh, but nonetheless, I was delighted. <laughs> and um, I thought, well, if I'm too old, they'll tell me I'm not gonna try to act young or anything like that. I mean, that, this is what you see is what you get, you know, this is it. Uh, but it was it was just such an incredibly creative experience, and there were more rewrites with Philemon, especially Leela's the character that Leela Martin played, which wasn't in the original. And um, Leela was such a I guess and still is I assume a great actor. Uh, I have such respect for her. Uh, she she was trained, you know, at the actor studio. She was really a fine actress and. Um, I don't know. She was a joy to work with. Well, every everything about Philemon I loved. I loved that whole that whole experience was just great, and the way that they would, um, you know, we'd have our tea time every day at uh, at rehearsals. I think about four o'clock, whatever. They, everything would stop, and uh, John Shack they would lay out these cold cuts and and cheese and wine, and and we would just stop and and have this little party and then would go back to work and everybody was refreshed and excited about it. I mean, it was, it was a wonderful experience all the way around. I've never had an experience like that before or since. It was just a, a fabulously creative experience. That's I'm sorry to have talked so long, but you know, no, I get started on this. No, and before we went on air, Michael, you were telling us a story about your resemblance to both Jones and Schmidt. And I wonder if you could repeat that for our viewing audience. Well, I think it was, it started with celebration, but it, but it continued over the years. Uh, every time any of Harvey's relatives from Texas would, would come up, they would say, you look just like Harvey when he was your age. And then anytime any of Tom's relatives would come this, you look just like Tom when he was your age. So I would say that I was their love child. You know, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, one, another person who wanted to be here tonight was Richard J. Alexander. A few years ago, uh, the York Theater did a celebration of Tom Jones and Harvey Schmidt uh, when they received the Oscar Hammerstein Award. I was lucky. And uh, Sam, were you there that night? I'm, I was, uh, yeah. It was, it was such an incredible evening. Uh, Leslie Ann Warren also uh, who sends uh, her condolences and that she could not be here tonight. Uh, but Richard J. Alexander directed and uh, he sent a little clip that we're gonna share with you right now. Hello, my name is Richard J. Alexander and I'm thrilled that Richard Skipper is celebrating Tom Jones. The Tom Jones, not the singer Tom Jones. That was crazy with those obits. Um, anyway, Jones and Schmidt, legendary. Jones and others, just as equally powerful and potent. Uh, I happen to be good friends with Dan Shaheen, who is now taking care of the legacy of Jones and Schmidt. So I feel pretty fortunate. He um, suggested me to James Morgan uh, at the York Theater to direct the Oscar Hammerstein Award the year they were honored. And it was a pretty damn special night. Um, Harvey, uh, who I'd never met, uh, was so charming. I think I said something to him, like if we had met in the 60s, we would have been dating. Um, and he passed away a couple weeks later. Tom, I met when he came to the Old Globe to see a production of I Do, I Do that I directed starring uh, Paige Davis and uh, Patrick Page, which was really one of the highlights of my life and career. I knew that album backwards from the library growing up in high school with Mary Martin and Robert Preston and couldn't imagine I would ever touch that piece. So my, you know, crossings with both of them um, is um, uh, something that uh, will, I will always hold close to my heart. And um, I, I know that their legacy is so huge uh, that it's going to go on, but I'm sure there are so many people who are gonna talk this afternoon and illuminate. And I know Dan Shaheen sent some special things. So um, 
have a wonderful celebration. Richard, you are something else. You're, the way you've been doing this for so long is fantastic, and uh, Tom Jones certainly deserves this, and may he rest in peace. Dan, by the way, sent all the photographs that were part of the collage that we put together at the beginning. So Dan, thank you. I know that he couldn't be here tonight either. Uh, Charles, uh, bring in our next guest. Yes, for our next guest, I'd love to bring on someone who was in Philemon and the Fantastics off-Broadway, Ken Cantor. And here he is. Hello, Hi. Ken. Hi, Ken. Actually, actually you've, you've cut it a little bit short. Um, I was in Philemon. And after doing Philemon, um, Tom wanted to hold on to me. And so he put me into the Fantastics. And when the Fantastics was over, I went into Colette Collage wow. and Music Theater Works. And then a couple of years later, I wound up doing a celebration at uh, Musicals in Mufti. And since then, I've done Tempesta and Grover's Corners, a gala that we did at the um, Merkin Hall. What a name. Wow. And... Um, <laughs> So I, I really, I've done a hell of a lot of their shows. And Ken, who did you play um, in Colette? Pardon? Who did you play in Colette? Willie. Hmm. Love Willie. It. it was a wonderful job. You show up for act one and then you're done. It was the opposite of Dick Latessa when he was in Mirette and he, at, at uh, Goodspeed and we would hang out all the time and he would just only do the second act. Yeah. He would draw the whole first act and we'd sit with him. So I got to know Dick so well because he literally didn't come on stage until the second act. It was great as a kid. As I say, a terrific gig. Um, yeah. <laughs> the memories that I have, I've got a handful of them um, because I worked with them so often. Um, I think one of my one of my favorites was when I was down at Sullivan Street. Uh, I did El Gallo there. And um, going into it, there was a point at rehearsal where um, you're supposed to stand on top of a stool and put your arm up around a trim that goes all the way around the auditorium, a kind of plaster trim. And he says, yeah, at this point, you put your, your, your hand up there. And I put my hand up there, and you could feel an indentation in the plaster where decades of El Gallos had put their hands there. It was, it was an extraordinary thing. But the, the thing that I remember the most... I was, Tom had, we had worked all afternoon and I wanted to watch the show that night. And I was sitting in the auditorium waiting for the show to begin. And a father and son were sitting in front of me. And uh, the son had obviously been primed by his father about what a wonderful show The Fantastics was. And he was just bouncing off the walls with questions before the show started. And at one point I heard the, the little boy say, he pointed at the uh, drape that had the fa that le famous lettering of the Fantastics on it. And he turned to his father and he said, what's behind the curtain? And his father said, oh, that's where the magic is. <laughs> and I thought, has there ever been a better answer to that question? I mean, what an incredibly profound and accurate thing to say. The biggest problem with doing the Fantastics at Sullivan Street was that everything that could conceivably have happened at Sullivan Street, doing the Fantastics, had already happened. And, you know, you come off stage, you go, you know what just happened? And you sort of share, and they go, oh, yeah, I remember three years ago. And then they can, they can describe a much more <laughs> glorious example. Well, we had one experience that was unique, and I was there for it. Um, we, it was one of those two-show evenings on the weekend. And um, the person who was playing the keyboard injured herself between shows and she couldn't play the second show. And so they called their usual standbys and no one was available. They even called Norman Weiss, who at that moment was conducting Phantom of the Opera. And so he couldn't do it. He was in the middle of conducting the show. And so Harvey said, you know, if I can fit in there, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> because, you know, the, you had the rear wall of the theater and you had the piano and the platforms and the space between the rear wall and the beginning of the piano was preset. The, you couldn't, could not move it. And so he said, if I, can, if I can squeeze in there, I'll play it. And so I did the one performance at Sullivan Street that Harvey played. 
And mm -hmm. the interesting thing about it, um, I was, I knew that he could, did not read music. He wrote it brilliantly, but he couldn't, couldn't read them. And he came in with a loose leaf book to put down on the keyboard. And I was wondering, what the hell could be in that? It's not music. I don't know what it is. And so I took a glance, glance at it and it had like, say, number six, uh, never say no or whatever, whatever it was. And in that inimitable handwriting of his, it said, start on second black key higher than you think. <laughs> that was it. And they had warned me that if he got lost playing the show, because he was playing it all from memory. If he got lost, he would start banging on the keys with his fists in rhythm, <laughs> really, until he found where he was, and then he would start playing again. And at a key change in round and round, sure enough, he went up, <laughs> and he started banging. <laughs> and so all tonality went out the window, and we started reciting in great, in great drama uh, <laughs> until he found his place again. But I find, at last I had finally had a unique experience at Sullivan Street that, that uh, had never happened before. Never happened before. But, Great. But Michael, I'd left, like to come in and second your opinion about Philemon. Um, I thought that it was an incredibly gorgeous score, possibly one of the most complicated that I've ever had to learn. And it was a tremendous amount of work, but enormously satisfying. Um, I really enjoyed that score tremendously. Still do. Um, it working with those guys was a, a very unique ex experience, and um, no one has mentioned this yet. But Tom could tell a theatrical anecdote better than anyone that I have ever heard, and he told the story about a celebration. And uh, everything that led up to the opening night. And I must say that it was an absolutely hysterical story. He apparently, um, it was, it, there was enough ice on the ground that Harvey, on his way to the theater at the Ambassador, slipped and broke his leg. And so he was in a wheelchair with his leg extended all the way out in a cast. And they had to carry him up the stairs into the um, into the um, lobby of the theater, and he had to watch the show from his wheelchair. And Tom said that he was running uh, a tech rehearsal, and he was running down the aisle as the as he put it, wildly gesticulating about something that had got had not satisfied him. And as he was gesticulating, his foot caught in one of the aisles of the, one of the seats on the aisle, and he tripped. And he jammed his shoulder. Yes. And they had to put him in some sort of an odd cast that had his arm sticking all the way out like this with an angle piece. And he had to direct the show, the rest of the show, with his arm sticking out like that. While all of this was going on, the producer of the show, uh, Cheryl Crawford, had found that someone working in her office was embezzling money. Dick Chandler, I remember. And yeah, the co-producer. She confronted him. And he, apparently having no other alternative, attacked her with a hammer and uh, fractured her skull. Oh! And so... Well, I'll butt in later. Well, at any rate, Tom was describing what the opening night was. They went to the party, uh, which apparently was at the top of that building at number one Times Square. They used to have a restaurant up there. Uh -huh. And he said that uh, Harvey was there in his wheelchair with his legs sticking up. I had my arm like this stuck in it. And Cheryl Crawford showed up like he said, it looked like three awful people in the spirit of 76. And he said, we started getting some of the reviews and they weren't as pleasing as they wanted them to be. And he said, we would have thrown ourselves off the roof if any of us could have managed it. <laughs> it, it was a marvelous, a marvelous story. And he told it with such humil humility That's and uh, sense of, uh, 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 he, well, he, he was just extraordinary. And as I say, working on him on so many of those shows was um, quite a revelation for me. 
uh, quite unique in that he didn't didn't approach his material like, well, I've written it and now you must present it in the manner in which it deserves to be. It, it was always a strong collaboration and he really had time to listen to you and at least pretend to to appreciate what what things you might be offering in addition to the thoughts that possibly he had had about the piece. And it was always a very, very creative experience. And as I say, doing all of those shows um, of his with him and uh, sometimes just there, you know, with the uh, notes at the end of the performance um, was a very, very creative experience. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. That's wonderful. And, I, and one, one of the fortunate things was something Harvey once said to me, because I went from playing um, El Gallo to playing Mr. Rich in celebration. And after he saw me do Mr. Rich, he said, you see, Jones and Schmidt write shows for people at every stage of their lives. <laughs> that is wonderful. I love this. Which, which, yeah. was, which was awfully handy. Yes. Well, we have one guest who's been waiting patiently in the wings. Uh, so, Charles, uh, bring her on. Yes, our final guest for tonight did Jones and Schmidt's musical Harold and Maude at the York Theater and other, I believe, readings and workshops for them. Cass Morgan, welcome. Hi, everybody. I've, I've, I've been wrapped and listening to your stories. It's been really wonderful and moving and entertaining. Well, thanks for your patience and, you know, and I'm glad we got you on now, finally. Um, and as everyone has talked about, their experiences, the collaborative process, working with them, what was your experience as far as the collaboration is concerned? Um, collaboratively? Well, I mean, I was there kind of after the fact, <laughs> for sure. With Harold and Maude, they had done a reworking of the show and uh, they had edited it down and... Um, so, but even still, I, I believe there was a section early on in the show in the church that was not working for me. I, I was, could not make the comedy land. And Tom was so kind and uh, he was directing. Uh, no, he wasn't. Uh, Char, uh, Carl Andres was directing it, but he was there all the time. Tom was there all the time, incredibly attentive, incredibly supportive. And, um, and so I, I just felt like, wow, I'm just, I suck. I just suck. I can't make this. And Tom was just so, no, 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 that's okay. This doesn't work for you. So we'll just fix it. We'll just, and he just, I don't even remember what he did, but suddenly the scene just played beautifully and I stopped worrying about it. <laughs> but um, I do have a unique story and it's, it's a little embarrassing, but I'll tell it. Um, we, we're going back many, many decades and um, maybe 1967. And I had, as a young, like a 13 year old, fallen desperately in love with the Fantastics as so many people that went on to have careers in music theater did. And, um, you know, just my dream would have been to be in that. Although I was not a lyric soprano, it's not really my, <laughs> but I've still wanted it. And, um, so I had been working at the Barter Theater, I was 21 years old, and I came back to New York, no, no training. I was just one of these people who would just say, well, I could do that, you know, and maybe I could, maybe I couldn't. But um, in those days, everybody bought backstage, the, the weekly newspaper, and in it were casting calls and all kinds of information about the business. And there was a casting call for the Fantastics, and they were looking for replacements. And since my name is Cassandra, and <laughs> in the show, Matt sings that her name in the uh, uh, metaphor, is that the name of the song? That's, that's in Fantastics. And I thought, it's destiny. I am meant to have this role. So I wrote them a letter when I enclosed my picture and my bio, which was about, you know, this long at that point. And, uh, and I said, I, you really need to see me for this because my name is Cassandra and I just know that there's magic in that. And so, and I sent it off and lo and behold, they did. They called me in and I just was beside myself. And it, the story doesn't get 
too much more interesting than that. I I went to the theater. <laughs> they were so nice. Tom was just beaming the whole time, kind. I'm sure I was not very good, but they were so kind and sweet to me. And I just never forgot it. Uh, it, it made me feel like maybe, you know, there was a possibility that I might have a career someday, but they, they were so kind to me then. And I never, in the years later, when I did work with Tom, I never asked him if he remembered that. <laughs> I was going to ask if, if you were able to relay that story to him. I never asked him. I, I was mortified, actually. <laughs> but, um, anyway, they were so sweet. And he was just, he was always so nice to me over the years. And um, I always felt really supported. And like I said, that story about working on Harold and Maude, which was, I just thought it was such a beautiful show. I loved being part of it. Um, I found it so moving and funny. And but he was, you know, just right there all the time, right there to be helpful in any way. So. Beautiful. Charles? Yes. It is. It was wonderful. Well, I think we're running down to our final moments here. So I'll let Richard decide. Are running, but um, I'm going to give each of you a chance to have your final word tonight. Um, I will start, and then I will turn it over to Ken, Michael, Nancy, Cass, Charles, and Samuel have the, almost the final word. Uh, because after you speak, I'm going to play one of my favorite clips, and then uh, we are going to end uh, with Tom uh, from our interview that we did uh, just. Uh, Last, uh, just uh, last month, it was just a few weeks ago. Um, I, I, you know, never had the good fortune to work with either one of them. But each time that I encountered e either one of them, they were just absolute gentlemen in this business. And there aren't too many of those around. Uh, and they remembered you. That's the thing that I would, they would always remember me by name. And they were just absolutely wonderful. And uh, I, you know, when I, uh, I was lucky enough uh, to be good friends with Carol Channing, and when she passed, I was at her memorial, and Time Daily spoke, and she read a beautiful poem. I wish that I could remember it, and I wish, and some of you may even know it, but she said, always think of her, think of him, think of him. as being in the next room, mm. because he simply is. Uh, you may not see him physically, but we know that he's there. We know that he's there when we hear his music, uh, when we see his shows, and thank God they will continue to be produced over and over and over again. Uh, and that's a great legacy to leave behind. I end all of my shows uh, by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. And Sam, I think if I'm not mistaken, um, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong on this, but isn't Ken Bloom working on a book about the lyrics of Tom Jones? Uh, or I think so. I that 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 would be a Dan would know more details than I would, but that sounds wonderful. I, I hope so. Yeah, I think that that's in the works. So that's something else we can all look forward to. Uh, but as I say at the end of all my shows, uh, uh, go to your Facebook friends list. You're all on Facebook, I think, and go to the fifth name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. Oh. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call. And let that person know the impact that they have made on your life. Oh. I'm glad, Sam, thanks to you, that I got the chance to tell your father the impact that he made on my life. So I thank you all for being here tonight. Uh, my closing song that I'm going to play before Tom speaks um, uh, sums up how I feel about all of you being here tonight. And I think you know which song I'm talking about. Uh, but uh, on that note, I'm going to leave the screen and I'm going to turn it over to you, Ken. And uh, thank you all for being here this evening. Thank you, Richard. Ken, I think it's, it's your turn to give oh, okay. <laughs> um, I would like to add something that might be out of place. Um, I can't tell you how often I worked with Janet Watson and how dear she was and what an, a generous choreographer she was. She never made me feel that I was ruining her work. And so many choreographers 
So many choreographers will barely disguise their disdain. And Janet always treated you with such kindness and sweetness. I always looked forward to working with her. And I just, I do want to mention just, just her name in passing because what an extraordinary, extraordinary collaborator she was and what a great, great person she was. That's it. Thank you, Ken. And Cass, I think you'll, you'd be next. All right. I just want to say thank you, Tom, for your gorgeous words and for inspiring me to have a life in the theater. You really did. That's beautiful. Thank you. And Michael, I think you can. Well, uh, I just feel like I was fated to know him. I feel like I knew him in past lives. I will know him in future lives. I just loved him. He was a wonderful person. Oh, I owe everything to him. I cannot imagine what my life would have been like without him, really and truly. That's it. I can't add to that. Thank you so much for, for that, Michael. And Nancy? I just feel very honored to have worked with him and, and especially to have had him as a friend and Janet too. And I just want to mention, if you haven't seen the Legacy Projects interview that I produced it for the Legacy Project of the Dramatist Guild Foundation, uh, Tom and Harvey's, Tom is in New York and then we went down to Texas and filmed Harvey. And if you haven't seen that, it's on. You can stream it on the internet. Just stream it because I think it's a it's a wonderful film where they both talk about their work a lot. And and I I felt so proud to be involved with that actually because they they were so great to interview. They just gave us such wonderful material. That is wonderful. It's great. Well. I'll give the second to last final word. <laughs> I know personally how wonderful it was to be able to interview Tom Jones. And this is what I have to kind of remember him by almost is his book, um, Making Musicals. I won't oh, amazing. That um, before we did our interview, I hadn't read the book. And he said that he wanted me to read the book before we did <laughs> the conversation. So he was kind enough to mail me a signed copy of it. So I have this signature from him. Oh, that's that amazing. Yes, it is. I'll read it in case people can't see it. It says, hi, Charles, I am, so to speak, handing you the drum, see page 188, and I wish you all the best, Tom Jones. And for those who haven't read the book, handing you the drum essentially means encouraging you to go out and make your own kind of work. And that's such a beautiful message from him, I think, that I'd like to end on that. Okay, well, are you going to leave me alone here, Charles? I don't think I want to end up on this screen by myself. I think you have to stick around. I, I want to thank, Charles, you and Richard for doing this. It's so wonderful to kind of get to hear new perspectives and uh, just people that, you know, tell stories that I've never heard about someone that obviously meant so much to me. So I'd like to thank you guys and everyone who took time out of their day to come and sort of uh, talk about him and the impact that he had on their lives. And uh, it's really special. So thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. I mean, it's so wonderful that you could do this. And... It's great. Yeah, I can't wait to see what we, what we have coming up next. So thank yeah. you both. Thank you. Sometimes in the morning when shadows are deep I lie here beside you, just watching you sleep. And sometimes I whisper what I'm thinking of. My cup runneth over when I study the small things you do constantly I memorize moments that I'm fondest of My cup runneth over in love 
about Sam Jones, my son, one of my sons, when he was three and a half years old, um, he, um, we did our first tour of, of, of the Fantastics in Japan, and we rehearsed in New York and did a run-through, and uh, he was the only person in the audience in the theater, and when it was over, he was sitting like this, and I said, Sam, what's the matter? And he said, I'm worried about Act Two. And uh, <laughs> I said, so am I, Sam. And then last, I know he's going to do music. This is the last song that Harvey and I will have written together. Uh, a tune that Harvey wrote that's beautiful. We always wanted to find a lyric. Never could, but finally I did after Harvey passed away. So it's real short and uh, I, it's a beautiful melody, but I, I can't sing. So anyway, it goes like this. Don't look for me here, not here by this marker. Don't look for me here, not under this mound. Just open your eyes and look all around you. Just open your heart and I will be found. That bird in the sky that flies by you singing that soft summer breeze that trembles the trees those cold winter nights when stars start to sparkle they're all part of me and i'm part of these that laughter you share i'm part of that laughter those tears that you shed, I'm part of them too. Bum, 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 bum. Don't look for me here, not here in this graveyard. How can I be dead when I'm part of you? I'm part of you.